following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. You know what surprises me sometimes is you're driving down the road, and I don't know, but it seems like more and more often I'll see someone in the back of a police car. You guys notice that? Someone in the back of a police car. And the first thing I think is, what did they do? They got busted, you know? But if you look a little closer, sometimes that's not a criminal in the back of the police car, it's someone doing a ride-along. You get to do a ride-along. That's really cool. Someday I'm going to sign up for one of those. I don't know how you sign up, but I want to do that. Because you can hear about what an officer goes through in L.A. on a weekend. Now, you can hear the stories, or you can actually ride along and actually get in on what really happens. Sometimes you try to tell a story, and somebody would say... You know, you really have to be there to really get what goes on. You know, in the kingdom of God, as the Bible lays out the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God came with Jesus. And you and I, through Jesus, get to enter into the kingdom of God. And it's like this big rainbow, if you will. If you look at a timeline, the day you say yes to Jesus, you enter the kingdom of God. And then you live through the kingdom of God, even on earth, until the full culmination of it, when we see him face to face in heaven. This kingdom of God is at hand. It's available for everyone you know and you love. And as soon as you enter in, you not only learn about the kingdom, but hopefully experience the kingdom along the way, too. Um, Jesus taught in parables, and he taught about the kingdom. And people weren't really sure what the kingdom was going to look like, how it was going to unroll, and how it was going to fold out. And Jesus kept on saying in all of his parables, the kingdom is like this, and the kingdom is like this. And finally they're going, oh, so that's how the kingdom works. Even Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night, so what's going on with this kingdom? Jesus is like, I can tell you're really smart, but let me explain how the kingdom of God works. And he begins to explain how the kingdom of God works. And the beautiful thing about the Bible is through all the gospel accounts, we see the kingdom of God through Jesus the Christ walking around, teaching, healing, uh, just imparting the power of God in him and through him. And then he said, I'm going to the Father. You guys, do what I did. I'm going to send you the Spirit of God so that you can do in fact what I did. Represent me to the ends of the earth. And so we're in the book of Acts and we get this bird's eye view of what it looks like when God's Spirit comes on his people and they actually start walking out with Jesus. It's an amazing snapshot. We get to see like a tag-along, ride-along, how things really went down in the narrative of Scripture. You have your Bible, Acts 17, if you can open up there, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, and on this, we're discovering how the kingdom works, because we're right at this point in the story, we're tracking along with Paul and Silas and Timothy, and, and as they go from town to town, we're going to see how, how the kingdom rolls out, and, and what God does, and how the kingdom works. And this is important, because you and I have probably been learning about the kingdom, but it's on a whole other level when you begin to experience the kingdom. And I believe God wants us to do both. Uh, Jesus taught the disciples what to do when he sent out the 70. He said, I'm going to send you out there and I want you to go to these towns and represent me. And they came back and their first word was, the experience was amazing. Remember that? They said, oh, we can't even get over what just happened out there. So the kingdom isn't just learning about it, it's also experiencing the kingdom of God. And I hope today we get in on a little snapshot of experiencing the kingdom of God. Uh, we're talking today about the power of the word, and we're going to look at the word's power on a couple of different levels today. 
But the setup is this in the story. Um, as Paul and Silas and Timothy are traveling on this missionary journey, and we're along, traveling along with them, uh, last week they went to the city of Thessalonica. Uh, that's where in the Bible the letter to the Thessalonians. Paul started a church there. People, some of them heard the message and accepted with joy, but others got extremely angry in the last town. Paul's like, gotta go, can't help you grow, but I'll send you a letter. That's a long time to it. It's in the mail in a couple of weeks. He had to get out of town, boy. They were chasing him down. Today, we're looking at the town of Maria, the city he's in. People react a little different in this city than they did the last city. Next week, he's going to be in the town of Athens, where people are very philosophical. Different people groups, different mindsets. Maybe you have some friends that are very philosophical. When you express matters of faith, they approach nothing spiritually. It's all philosophical. It's all in the head. It's all, you know, calculated and pondering. And they keep it kind of ethereal in the, in the, in, in the mindsets of probability or possibility. Or that's interesting or intriguing. But don't go any further. Anybody have any friends like that? I have some friends like that. Spiritually, no. Commitment, no. But ponder and talk about dialogue on these kind of matters. It's very philosophical. Next week, we're going we're gonna to look at uh, faith the philosophical how it's presented in Athens. But in this town of Berea, the word and the power of the word are front and center to what's going on in this narrative right here. So Acts 17, if you can follow along, we're going to look at it in sections. And it starts out like this. It says, As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, where they received the message with great eagerness. I just want to stop right there. The Bereans, it says right out of the gate, they were of more noble character. Now, first read, you would think, well, they're nicer people. They have better character is what you would think. They, they must act nicer. They must be kinder. Uh, but the Greek doesn't suggest that they were kinder than the last town. Doesn't suggest that this city was kinder and gentler. Uh, it simply means in the Greek, uh, the word is eugenis, which where we get our word generous from. They were generous in the way that they were open-minded to hear what Paul had to say. The Bereans were more generous. They were more open-minded. They were open to say, if this is the kingdom of God, explain it to us. We're open to it. Why is that important? Because through the whole narrative of Jesus with the Pharisees, through the Old Testament, all the religious scholar, scholars had no room for the kingdom of God. They thought they knew about it, but when it came to Jesus rolling it out and explaining it, no. We know how it's going to go down. I'm sorry. We're not hearing you. We don't accept it. They were shut down completely and started yelling, crucify him. And this is baffling because they spent their whole life reading Torah, understanding scripture in theory, growing in what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like, and yet completely missing it when it was standing right in front of them in flesh, in the fullness of the spirit. That's baffling to me. Not all the Pharisees. Most of the Pharisees. They missed it. So somehow they learned about the kingdom of God, but they didn't get to experience the kingdom of God. It's amazing. In this passage here, the Bereans, they were more open-minded. In this context of this kingdom message of Jesus, the, the Messiah, they were, they were generous in the sense that they were, their disposition, they were open-minded. Really it means that they were 
free from prejudice. Not only a racial prejudice or a social prejudice, they were free from prejudice on this message of the kingdom of God, on what the kingdom of God looks like, how does it go down? They're open-minded. They are free from prejudice. Why do I say that? Because some come to the table with prejudice already. Some, when it comes to the topics of the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God works, what is God's economy like? It's different than our economy. His ways are not our ways. His ways are as higher than ours as the heavens are above the earth. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. His ways are different. So when we talk about how the kingdom works, it doesn't work the natural, normal way things on earth work. And so because of that, are we open without prejudice to how the kingdom of God works? I say that because some are not open to it. Clearly, the Jewish Pharisees early on were not open to Messiah. Coming from Galilee, coming from Nazareth, no. He didn't graduate from our rabbinical school. We didn't pass him top of the class. He can't be the Messiah. In their economy, in their mindset, they had prejudices against Jesus. They prejudged him from the beginning. And because of it, they were not open to the kingdom of God and how it works. Um, the last city that they just went to, there were some that accepted Christ, and there were many that prejudged this whole message of the kingdom, saying, sorry, get out of town, we don't want to hear from you anymore. And they actually got very hostile towards this message, because they already prejudged it, instead of experiencing it for themselves. And I believe the kingdom of God is like that. You can hear the message, but until you're willing by faith to step into the kingdom, you never experience the kingdom. You can study the kingdom of God your whole life, but if you're not a citizen of the kingdom, you don't know what it's like. Because you're like that person watching that police patrol car going, I wonder what it would have been like to be in that car, and you really don't know. But if you go for the ride-along, when you go for the ride-along, you get the smell of that police car, you're in doors that don't open, you got a metal bar, but they're not listening to you up there. Hey, officer, can we pull up into the bathroom? Not hearing you. You get to be in the back of a patrol car watching everything go down on city streets, maybe areas you wouldn't drive at 2 in the morning when you're in the car. You experience completely differently. The same is with the kingdom of God. When you step into the kingdom, you experience it differently. However, some don't experience dimensions of the kingdom because of what this is saying, prejudices or not being open-minded or prejudging things and not being generous in their disposition. The Bereans were of more noble character that they were open. Paul, if you're bringing us the kingdom, we're open-minded. We're going to hear what you have to say. Explain the kingdom of God. That's important. There's some areas of, today you might have some Jewish friends. Um, I know when I share with my Jewish friends about Jesus, sometimes there is a prejudice in the sense that they prejudged Jesus. Prejudged Jesus, who he is. Is Jesus the Messiah? The last town prejudged him. Some received, some said, no, get out of town. In the Jewish faith today, some prejudge Jesus. If you ask, did you think about Jesus? Did you ever consider Jesus to be the Messiah? And some might say, well, my rabbi said no. My grandmother said no. Don't consider him. But did you personally, did you personally investigate Jesus? The Nazarene, kind of the Jewish Messiah. Have you investigated? Many have it. So many prejudge based on what somebody else Hold them and have a prejudged disposition instead of being open-minded and exploring. 
When I think of that today in the church, a couple of quick areas, because the Bereans get in on the kingdom of God here today. And I think the fact that they're open-minded and they don't prejudge the kingdom and the way it's explained to them, I think they get on and on some great things. Some areas today that I would think of really briefly. The kingdom of God, some components of the kingdom of God. When you talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus tells his apostles, I want to send you to the ends of the world and don't go anywhere until you receive power because you can't pull this off on your own. You don't have what it takes. You need power from on high before you go. Don't go anywhere. Wait until you get power. So we see this happening where they wait and they receive power from God. The Bible calls it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And here's one section of the kingdom of God, one component of the kingdom of God, that some go, yeah, I see that in Scripture. I fully get it. Others are like, oh, well, I, I heard that that's not for today. You've heard that it's not for today. Some have heard that it's not for today because somebody said so. Well, Pastor Chuck says the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. Pastor Jack says they're for today. But Pastor John says, no, they're not for today. Which one are they? Depends who you listen to or, or depends what's in the book. Depends what's in the book. There's a big difference. Because if it's in the book, you're not prejudging anything. You're open to the kingdom of God. Because it's in the book. But if somebody tells you something and you follow along that mindset, that's not being noble character, generous, disposition, open-minded. That's choosing what somebody said and following along without even being open to the context of Scripture and what God says about His own kingdom. Does that make sense? The, the kingdom of God has given us. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us profound insights through His kingdom. The Bereans know something about this. They know something about this, and as the story unfolds, we're going we're gonna to see that. But I wanted to ask you this question this morning. Are your determinations based on what somebody else told you, or do you say, if it's in the Word, I believe it, and I desire it? What camp are you in? Are you in the camp, somebody told me, so therefore, no, I don't believe it and desire it? Or are you in the camp where you say, it's in the word of God, I believe it, and I desire it, because God put it in there, and it's for the New Testament church? you got to pick what camp you're going to be in, but I will encourage you that if you're in the camp where you say, if it's in God's word, I believe it, and I desire it, you will experience the kingdom of God on different dimensions and levels. Why do I know that? Because I see it from the evidence of Scripture of everyone else who did take on his word and did believe it and not leave parts out of it. They got in on a journey, like riding along in the patrol car, where they can tell stories that you and I can only assume would be about. <coughs> That's what the Bereans did. The Bereans said, if it's in the word, I believe it and I desire it. That's what they did. They received it, and they did it with great eagerness. The Bereans here are this one group of people we see out of all the New Testament churches in the book of Acts, the one people group that say the Word has power. The Logos, the Word of God, has power. And we want to check this Word of God to see what it says. But if it's in here, you're telling us Jesus, Messiah, came and He suffered. We didn't know about that. We're going to check it. We're going to check it. If it's in here, we want it. 
and we're eager for that. Do you see how their disposition is? This is really cool if you ask me. If you're a note taker this morning, if you want to know about the power of the word in your life, how you can have the power of the word, I say power because there is profound power in the word of God. Profound power. Um, the first point is want what's in the word. Want what's in the word. Don't just believe it. Yes, believe what's in the word, but want what's in the word. Uh, it, I say this because some have explained along the way, we'll take that part and take it out. Did you know Thomas Jefferson? Great president. But he was a deist. He came along and came up with a Jeffersonian version of the Bible. You can go to the library and find this. You know what he did? He actually edited his own Bible. And said, I'm leaving this script, this one in, because that probably happened. Pulling that one out, there's no way that one happened. That one maybe, that one, that one didn't happen. Seriously. The word says don't go beyond what is written. The word says not that a, a dot or a period or a cross of a key will pass away. And Jefferson comes along, assuming he has the autonomy to edit out parts of scripture and in his worldview think, well, maybe these didn't happen, these sort of things. Woe unto us to go beyond what is written, but woe unto us to start ripping pages out of Scripture, assuming things are not God's heart. You hear that, family? Woe unto us to go beyond what is written, but woe unto us if we start pulling things out of Scripture for the New Testament church. The Bereans are like, if it's in it, it's in the book, we not only believe it, we want it. And so the first point this morning is want what's in the Word. If you want, if you truly desire with eagerness, what is in the Word? It will change the way you live. Because your wants and desires aren't going to be on random things. You're going to be saying, God says this. It's in His Word. I'm going to pray differently. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to have faith differently. Why? Because it's in His Word. Like the Bereans saying, I not only believe it, I desire it with eagerness. This is how the Bereans approach this. We don't see any other church so far in this narrative of Acts that has this mindset, saying if it's in the Word, we want it, we desire it, and we're eager about it. This is huge, guys. It's, a, it's like a game changer. And so that's really important. It moves on in verse 11. And it says, the Bereans, talking about the Bereans as I continue that verse, examine the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with the instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Okay, so the Bereans come along. They're hearing this passage. They're eager about it because Paul says it's in the word. But it says they're examining Scripture every day. You've got to understand something about this, the culture of these kind of people, these Bereans. And my prayer is that you and I will be a Berean. These Bereans are salutable. These guys are like rock stars in the faith. These guys are like, I don't know Jesus, but I'm open. If it's in the book, I want it. I want everything that's in the book. But I'm not just going to take your word for it. i got to check it. i got to check it. Because how am I going to know what you're saying is true? Just because you said, i got to check what God says, even if I didn't catch it before. But if God says it, then I desire it and I want it. 
And I want to see if this is legit what you're saying, because if it's in the book, uh, this is profound revelation. I missed it. You know, Paul of, of Tarsus did the same thing in his own narrative of Galatians. You know, he's killing Christians. He's a Pharisee. Saul. He's a Pharisee killing Christians, thinking he's doing the right thing. Jesus wakes him up. And in his own narrative in Galatians, it's like, I had to camp out in Arabia for like seven years trying to figure this thing out. I can't believe I missed what I missed. I can't believe I missed it. The Messiah would come, he would suffer. I can't believe I missed it. He camps out with God and gets his insight, starts to figure out it is all in the book. And now when he goes from town to town, he goes right into a synagogue to people just like him and says, I missed it too, but let me point it out to you. Why? Because it's in the book. And he desires it, and he's eager for others to have it. That's what's going on right here. The, the Bereans are in the scripture every day. They're in the word daily. Why are the Bereans in the word daily? Why is this a daily part of their life? That's a pretty big deal. Why are they in the word daily? Because they believe that the word of God contained the very oracles of God. The very oracles of God. The very words from God's mouth <sighs> spoken. They believe it. They believe that. I hope you believe that this morning. I hope you believe what Scripture says about itself in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is spirit-breathed. Breathed by God. All Scripture is spirit-breathed. I hope you believe that. There's some denominations that started well believing this. And then over time, somehow, like Jefferson, started excusing some away. Over time. Somehow, some way. Over the years and generations. Let me tell you this. The Word of God is the only anchor we have. There is no other anchor. You start letting the Word of God float around in your life, and, and then there's no point of reference in anything. The Word of God is stable. It is a rock. It is timeless. It won't return void. The Bereans know that. The Bereans know this contains the very oracles of God. We're checking the oracles of God. And they're in the oracles of God daily, and I think that's profound. Are you in the oracles of God daily? Because there's a lot of light to be obtained when you're in the oracles of God daily. Some people say, well, I don't, I don't hear from God. I haven't heard God. God's never spoken to me. Um, that's not uncommon to hear. But I think as you not only grow in the kingdom of God, learn about the kingdom, but as you begin to experience the kingdom of God, you will learn that hearing from God is part of being a child of God. You will learn that hearing the voice of God is part of what the kingdom is all about by design, by God himself. These guys knew that the word contained the very oracles of God. The word of God, the logos, contained the very oracles of God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You light my way, God. You discern which is the path. The Bereans are going, I hear what you're saying. You're showing me it's in the Word? That sounds good? Hold on, i got to check it. i got to check it. i got to make sure what you're saying is, is true. And so, the second point this morning, if you're a note-taker on this, is to explore the oracles of God daily. The oracles of God is God speaking through uh, the Word. Uh, he's captured the Word, and it's timeless, and it's profound. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. If you cut, like, bone and marrow, if you've ever had a piece of chicken, you break off a bone, and you look at the marrow on the bone, you're like, good luck trying to get that out there with your knife. 
you won't. But guess what? Were it not to cut between that, in the same way it would cut between our own motives and intentions in the hearts of men, sometimes we don't even know what's going on inside this heart. Honestly, we think we do, but we don't know what's going on in that heart. The Word of God does, and the Word of God can divide between bone and marrow and, and motive and intentions, but we can't even figure out our own motives and intentions sometimes. Or maybe they're a little foggy or a little blurry. And the Word of God, the oracles of God, will separate and divide that. The Bereans get it. This is the oracles of God. Of course we're going to be in the deal. Why would you miss out on the oracles of God? Wouldn't you? If you had a choice of hearing from God once in a blue moon or regularly, how many of you would choose regularly? Okay, amen. Good answer, by the way. Get into the oracles daily. Be a Berean. Be in the Word daily. It doesn't mean you've got to read three chapters. Sit with God and camp out with Him and read the Word. It's just powerful and powerful and profound. Are you getting in on the oracles of God? If you're going to get in on the oracles of God, you've got to be hungry. You've got to be hungry for the things of God. Plus, for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's got to be a hunger. And if you don't have that hunger right now, it's okay. Ask God to make you hungry. Maybe there was a time in your life when you were more hungry. <laughs> Maybe there's a time in your life where you were really hungry. You were in the faith, oh, this is awesome. I'm like learning stuff. I'm, I'm experiencing God and walking with Jesus all new, and it's exciting. Um, maybe you're not hungry like you were back in the day. But ask God to stir that hunger in your heart because hunger is what it takes to want to be in the organs of God daily. Uh, there's a story of a, a young girl, she was blind and she was from France, and uh, she was given a New Testament with raised letters in it, and she was so excited that she read it so much, day in, day, day in and day out, she loved it, she's, she's reading the Word of God, but she did it so much that her fingers became so callous to the point where she could not even feel the letter anymore. And she was so angry, and so mad, and so upset, and the harder she tried, the less feeling she had. She had no feeling left. And so in her last-ditch effort to actually kiss the word goodbye, she put it up to her lips, and much to her surprise, she could feel the letters with her lips way better than she could feel with her fingertips. And as she felt the word of God on her lips, she just started to fall in love with it more and more as she moved her lips across the word of God, reading God's word like honey on her lips. Gotta be hungry though. Gotta be hungry. Hungry for the oracles of God. She was hungry for the oracles of God. I hope we're hungry for the oracles of God. Uh, there's an amazing snapshot in Ezekiel chapter 3. I, I try to wonder what this is. Like. You ever see these scenes in the Bible? You know, you wish you could be there for it. I hear what it's saying, but man, what did that look like? Ezekiel, major prophet, Old Testament. God has given him revelation. And God says, here's some oracles. Straight from my mouth to you. Here they are. He gives him a scroll. Logos, the word of God. He gives it to Ezekiel. And it says in Ezekiel 3.1, after God presents him a scroll, with his very words on it, handed face to face with Ezekiel. It says, and he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you. Yeah. Eat what is before you. Seriously. Yeah, seriously. Eat. Eat the scrolls. Eat it. 
Yes, eat it. Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll and then, and then go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. And he then said to me, Son of man, go now to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. The point is this. If you get in the Word, the Word will get in you. If you get into the Word of God, the Word of God will get in you. But the Word of God wasn't designed just to get in you. The Word of God was designed to get in you and come out of you. Come out of you. Like Ezekiel. Don't just learn. Don't just study. Don't just be a scholar. Like the Pharisees were scholars. You guys were brilliant. They could recite more than anybody at their time. But they missed out on the kingdom of God. How that works out. How could they be so studious in their knowledge and perspective of what they, their read of Scripture and miss out on the kingdom of God and what the Spirit of God was doing in front of their own eyes? The Messiah is among them. The kingdom of God is at hand. And they were completely clueless to it. It's amazing. If you get in the Word, the Word will get in you. Then the Word will get out of you. And when the Word starts coming out of you, this is part of your journey. Not just coming into the kingdom or learning about the kingdom. You begin to experience the kingdom. You remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert? Right after his baptism, by the way. First thing, baptism, baptized, filled, ministry begins. The very first scene we see in the Bible is the devil running at Jesus full speed. Sliding up to him. Bam! Challenge him with his best temptations he ever had. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the same thing that caused the fall in the garden, by the way. He came to Jesus bringing his A game, bringing the best that he could bring to hit every button in Jesus' life. And you know what Jesus said? He didn't say, well, you know, somewhere in the Bible, he says, I think, you know, I don't know, somewhere in the Bible, I think I heard somebody say once, Pastor, somebody said something about that. No. It is written. It is written. It is written. And the devil's like, I am out. I am out. I'm not, I can't even hear that anymore. I can't even hear that anymore. Because there's authority in it. And you know the authority's in it. Because you gave the scroll and the scroll's coming out of you. And because the scroll's coming out of you, I can't even hear this anymore. I gotta go. I gotta go. And it says the devil left me for a more opportune time. Because this is not opportune. When the word's coming out, he is gone. That's, that's the reality of the word. Word of God gets in you. You get in the Word, the Word will get in you, and then the Word will start coming out of you, and that's by design. But the Bereans here, they tested everything that Paul said to make sure it was in the Word. The Bible says to test the spirits. You've got to verify. You can't believe everything you hear. Even the Bible says that about prophecy. Test. Test the prophecy. Test everything. It's good. It's okay to test things. The Word of God ends up being your litmus test. If you remember that in chemistry, you put the, you put the paper in the, in the water and it becomes either blue or red. How many remember that course? Or how many don't want to remember that anymore? Um, it becomes blue or red. A litmus paper changes color if it's an acid or a base. The Word of God will do the same thing. You test it, it's true or it's false because the Word of God will tell you when you test it with the Word. And the Bereans did that because they know all Scripture is not only as it's Spirit-breathed, God-breathed, but it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training righteousness. It is legit enough and on its own to verify what's truth and what's not. That's the beauty of it. So these guys verify truth. 
They received it. Many believed. So the third point today is to test everything by the word. Test everything by the word. And what's important about this is we are living in a time. We are living in a time where there is so much relativity going on. Well, that might be true for you, but for me and my situation, it's not. And for them, you know, I mean, everyone's got their own subjective truth. No, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. His word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar because God is true. His words are true and the Bereans do that. They do they test things. There's going to be things happening in your life at a different pace. You notice our city doesn't get slower and slower. It seems to get busier and busier. And as it does, you and I aren't testing things by the word. You might think of your cable or your satellite. What kind of channels you get? You got any channels that are everything's permissible but not beneficial. <laughs> you get some stuff that doesn't belong in your house. Lose it. Test it with the word. Test things. Test what you're going to do. Why you're going to do things. Test things with the word and watch how you will experience the kingdom on a greater level. Because there's power. Power to discern. Power to experience the kingdom. It's all in the word. So, so far, with the power of the word, we looked at want what's in the word. If it's in it, it's in the word, want it, desire it, expect it. We also looked at being hungry for the word, the thou word, the oracles of God daily, being hungry for the word. And we also looked at test everything in the word, got to verify truth, got to verify truth. But since we're talking about the word, as I was praying over the sermon and this message this morning, that when the Bible talks about the word, it oftentimes talks about the Greek word, the logos, the word. The word of God we have, it's the written word. Jesus was the, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have the written scripture, the word of God, we have the logos, and, and this is all accurate when we're talking about speed of the word, the oracles of God, study the word. The word is the Greek word for logos. It's really important to know that the word is his word and we get in the word. However, there is another word for the word in the Bible. And it's not just the logos. Why is this important? It's important because you can learn about the logos, the word, the word of God. And you should, and we should study it. But there's another component about the word the Bible talks about, and it's the rima. Would you say rima? rima. Say logos? logos. And rima. rima. The logos is the word of God. We've got it written down. We've got it in scripture. We can study it. We memorize it. We share it. We speak it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Grow in knowledge and grace. Grow in the logos of God. Amen? Then there's the rima. The rima in scripture... It's when the word of the Lord comes to you. The word literally means an utterance. An utterance of God speaking in the New Testament church. Speaking to believe the utterance of God. The voice of God. God speaking. So I asked the question this morning, does God speak? And some might say, well, no, because Pastor John said, no, and I don't know, I, I, I think I heard that in some way. The logos of God is alive and active. And the rhema, the utterance of God, is still very much a reality in the New Testament life. 
and the Bible offers both of those. Uh, Jesus says in Luke 11, the kingdom of God begins, begins when you and I receive the seed of the word, the word of God, the seed of God. When we receive the seed of God in, in, our, in our life, in our heart, this is where it begins. But then we grow, we grow as we follow Jesus. Have you learned that, that along the journey as you're following Jesus, this is when you discover what the kingdom's all about? Uh, you, you can't do it necessarily. You read in the Bible and you go, I think I get the principle, but until you walk it out, until you go along in that police car for the ride along, you don't really know what it looks like and smells like and and is like at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you don't know. You don't know. You, you just hear about the story. But as you begin to follow Jesus and walk out the kingdom of God, you get to experience it in a different way. And it's the same with you and I. As we follow Jesus along the way, we get to experience the, the kingdom of God. It says in 1 Peter uh, 1, and I want to just read this to you. This is, uh, you can turn there if you'd like. 1 Peter 1, uh, 23 and This is amazing because it talks in this passage about the the Logos and the Rima in the same passage of Scripture on purpose that we would know the written word and the power of it and what comes from it, but we would also understand the Rima of God as a, a reality for our life. And I think it's a beautiful passage. There's many others, but 1 Peter 23 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word, the logos of God. The, the living and enduring logos of God is that's the seed that when it's in your heart, you receive the message of Jesus Christ, the good news message in your heart, you are made new. This is where the journey begins. This is where we start our life in the kingdom of God. Through the, 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 the seed of his word in our hearts. This is what it's saying here. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The glass withers and the flowers fail. But the rima, the word, the rima of the Lord lives forever. And this is the word, the rima, that was preached to you. The oracles of God, the, the utterance of God is forever. The passage is saying the utterance of God, the voice of God speaking, the utterance of God. The utterance of God, we have a lot of us. And that's the seed in your heart. We haven't written there's 66 books in your Bible. Obviously, there's uh, yeah, 66 books and over 40 authors, over 1,500 years on three continents. Amazing. We have a lot of those. But the Rima, the Rima of the Lord, lives forever. Does God speak? God speaks. In fact, Jesus said in John 10 27, my sheep, if you're really my sheep, my sheep hear my voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The reason that they obey is because they can hear my voice. When the sheep are rolling along in a big pack, they can't always see the shepherd because they're all rolling along in a dusty place or wherever it is. But they hear the shepherd, the shepherd keeps talking. They're like, I know that voice. That's the Lord right there. That's the one who protects me cares for me. That's the one who feeds me, comforts, guides. That's the shepherd right there. That's the good shepherd. I know that voice. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. It doesn't say one day they heard it. End of story. My sheep hear my voice. Does God speak? John 18, 37. Jesus said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus is talking a lot about hearing his voice. The Bible says those who have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying, let them 
listen? Does God speak? Yes, God speaks. God speaks. Um, I love the song, Mercy Me, but the song, and, and, and you guys remember it. It goes, Word of God speak, won't you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God speak, word of God speak. I got your written word, God, and I love it. But would you speak? Not to replace your word. Oh no. No, no, no. Never make the mistake of trying to replace the word with God speaking. Because some go down that camp and that can get a little reckless. We gotta test things, we gotta be Bereans, we gotta check the word, we don't want to go beyond what's written. But the Rima, the voice of God, will speak to you in ways that will illuminate and show you very personal direction and things in your life because he loves you. And he cares about you, and as you experience the kingdom of God, as you begin to grow in the kingdom of God, hearing his voice should be part of that life. Part of that life. Uh, the rima is the utterance. It's when God speaks to you. Jesus said this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's this rima, not the logos, if my rima abides in you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, your utterance, Jesus, your utterance abiding in me, then he says, pray and ask and I will do it. He's bathroom with me. He's saying, if you're listening to me, if you're open to my utterance, you go pray that way, you pray that kind of prayer, me speaking to you, uttering to you, you pray that kind of prayer, and I'm going to do it. Some people aren't here from God, don't want to hear from God, and maybe praying or all maybe selfish desires. Or God's like, listen, be still and know that I am God. If you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. My sheep hear my voice. He's speaking to us in a way here that he says, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. The words, the rima, the rima that I speak to you is spirit and it's life in John 6, 63. Matthew 4, 4 says, man shall not live on bread alone, but every rima, word, that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we are going to live by that kind of word as well, family. We are to live by the word of God, the logos of God, the ritual, and by the rima word of God. Not either or, both and. Does that make sense? This is the design of the power of the word. The power of the logos word, which is timeless, and the rima, which is the ever-present voice of God willing to speak to us when we're still and slow and waiting on him. To hear from God. I think it's so important. I remember the first time in my life when God spoke, and it, it wrecked me in a good way. It changed me. I was, uh, I was down in New Zealand on a boat off the coast, and I had little cabins, little, you know, they don't, you don't get a big cabin, it's like a little cabin with a little round hole, one hole. And I remember I was new to the faith, and I brought my Bible, and I was reading it because I should, right? If you're a believer, you should read your Bible, right? You should. Not because I really wanted to or I really came a lot, just because I'm, I'm supposed to. I think I'm supposed to. I'm learning about the faith. So I was, my beginning steps were let me learn about the kingdom. I don't know about it. I'm new to the kingdom. I said yes to Jesus. I'm in the kingdom, but I'm new to the kingdom. I haven't really experienced the kingdom. But I'm going to start this journey along with Jesus, and I'm going to begin to learn and experience the kingdom of God. I'm sitting there reading the word of God down there through a little moonlight coming through the porthole. 
And I'm sitting there camping out, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I felt the presence of God come upon me, my hair standing up on my arms, and, and, and words jumping off the page where the Father is saying, I love you, this is for you, this is real, it's alive, this part here is for you right now, you get it? And I'm sitting there going, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what is this? What is, is this like when you pass the equator and you go, you can hear stuff out of the should not be a twilight zone experience. It's the Rima. It's the Word of God. It's the Rima of God. And the same Rima, the voice, the utterance of God can make His written Word, His Logos, come alive to you. Does that make sense? The Word is already written. He's given you everything you need for life of God. And if you camp out in His Word and you sit with Him and you get hungry for the oracles of God, His Rima, through the power and the presence of His Holy Spirit, will illuminate things to you, will bring things to light, will quicken your heart to go, Wow, God, you're pointing that out to me. I don't know, I, I don't want to make this about experience because everyone has a different experience, but the reality is once you've experienced God bringing something off the page to you, it's almost like, you know, you're being fed by the Word of God and you're like, here's the nice, great scoop. This is going to help you and bless you. It will be like honey for you. It will sustain you. If you, if, if you don't hear another thing for a while, you hold on to this one. That's what God does with His Word. And if you're reading the Logos Word of God, it's the Rima Word of God, the utterance of God. Don't replace one for the other. There are some in this camp over here with the Logos Word of God that don't have any room for the Rima Word of God. Some pastor told them one time, God doesn't speak, don't worry about it, and the story just read the Bible. That's a reality. I would say don't go beyond what is written. The Bible doesn't say the Rima God will go away. In fact, it says the earth will fade, the flowers will fade, but the Rima of God will last and stand forever. The Rima, the utterance of God, the Bible says the opposite. I'd say don't go beyond what is written in this camp. And if you're in this camp over here, never, ever discount the authority of Scripture and test everything. But expect the Rima, expect God to speak to you. So, so the fourth, fourth and final point this morning is to listen for the Word. Listen for the Word. Not only do you read the Word, get hungry for the Word, you always got to listen for the Word. Draw near to God and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you uh, and, and bring forth His Rima, His voice, His utterance, which He will speak to you. Uh, I'm not saying you're going to have dialogue every day over uh, a cappuccino at the kitchen table with God, where you're going to sit. But God will speak to you, and if He doesn't speak to you, camp out and stay in His logos anyway until the next time He does speak to you. Does that make sense? It's not like it's not a replacement. Some have gone on and gone, well, I already know he wrote that, but I just want fresh stuff every day. And God's like, you're not even picking up on what I left you for the last, you know, 3,500 years. I've given you the timeless oracles of life. You're not even in them. You're not reading them. You're not growing. You're not hungry for them. Why do you want me to speak to you when you're not even in my oracles? Read my oracles. It's a light unto your path and a light unto your feet. And by the way, I will speak my reader to you as well. Because there will be a voice behind you, behind you, telling you which way to go. Scripture promises. And Jesus said when the Spirit comes, He will comfort, He will counsel, He will guide. The only way He can be a counselor is by speaking. By speaking. Have you had an attorney in court and did the same thing to you? Sit there and see the judge that sit with you. <laughs> <laughs> go a lot of different ways to find out. No, counselor and advocate standing on your behalf. 
just communication. Because God speaks, he actually speaks the power of the word, the logos, and the rima of God in our lives. And as the worship team comes up, I just want to, want to close in prayer. But as we grow in knowledge and grace, when we study God's word, we, can, we grow in knowledge and grace, but at the same time, when we hear the voice of God, we grow in personal revelation. Personal revelation. And it's amazing when God, because he loves you so much, and he looks at you as a son, through Jesus, looks at you as a son or a daughter that he loves. And there's nothing better than hearing the voice of God speak directly to you, that the creator of the universe has so much love for you, he takes the time to communicate directly with his children. The frequency of that, I can't promise you that, that's not really the point. And don't, let's not make it about that. But that he loves you and does in fact speak with the ring of the voice of God through his children is absolutely amazing. It's miraculous, really. And this is where we transform from just entering the kingdom and learning about the kingdom, and we move on to growing in the kingdom as God begins to give you personal revelation of your life. And there's nothing better than personal revelation. We already have the general revelation of Scripture. And in that general revelation, He has personal revelation for you. And it will be by the reading of the voice of God bringing it out for you. I want to close in prayer right now and ask God to seal some of these things in our heart. Almighty God, we love you. We praise you for your word, both the Lagos and the Rima. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the, the scripture. You've given us your words, the very oracles we have in front of us, God. We've got copies everywhere, Lord God. And, 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 and as the word in a book, on a shelf, in a closet, by itself doesn't have power. But when that word gets in our heart, like Ezekiel, and it starts coming out of our mouth, oh, it's got power. It's got a lot of power. And I just pray, God, that we would be people that would get in your words so your word would come out of us, God. I pray that we would be like Ezekiel, Lord, where we would eat it. We would get hungry for it, God. We would eat your word. It would taste like honey on our lips, God. If we're not hungry for your word, change our level of hunger now, God. I pray we would hunger and thirst for that. I pray, God, that you would give us a hunger and that you would fill us, God, with your word. Like Ezekiel, your word would come out of us, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that we would uh, spend more time with you, Lord, like, like, like the story of the gal who, who couldn't feel it anymore with her fingers and put it up to her lips and, and felt every letter, how precious it was, how sensitive her lips were to feel your word, God. I just pray that we would be people who would have a hunger for your word. But I just pray at the same time, God, that the rhema, the utterance of God, that you would speak. We, we say, word of God, speak. Word of God, speak. Speak to us, God. Let us be people who hear your voice and get in on new dimensions of your kingdom, who get into personal revelation, who just simply make the path a little clearer and, 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 and the light a little brighter. Uh, so, Lord, we can walk with a greater confidence and a greater faith and a greater conviction in what your will is for our lives. We love you, mighty God. We praise you. We thank you in advance of these things. We ask you in Jesus' name. The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known.